but he will bear up under your investigation. And the more you poke and prod, the more there is to understand about him. So what, what is Jesus really like? What's Jesus truly like? If we're thinking about Jesus, I want to think about a continuum, uh, you know, a line that goes on this side over here on the left from being totally human all the way through uh, to the right there, totally divine. If you had to put Jesus on the continuum, totally human to totally divine, where would you do it? Where, where would you put? So, so if we're thinking about that, what's the appeal of him being totally human? Well, if Jesus is totally human, he's really accessible, okay? Because uh, if, I, uh, if I step down from here, I, I'm, I'm like you, okay? I'm just a normal human. You look at that, out of the spotlight, I'm totally normal, except I've got an amplified voice, which does make me a little bit different, right? But the advantage of Jesus being totally human is that he's accessible. He's like us, okay? But the problem with that is he's accessible, but he's equal. He can only do as much as we can do. Accessible, but equal. If we go down the other end and we look at him being totally divine, we go, he's God Almighty, right? That's, that's wonderful. That's very powerful. But I don't sit down and have tea and coffee with God very often. And so there's a sense in which all that power leaves me distant from him. He's very other to me. Okay? So either end of, those, of that spectrum seems like it would be hard. And Jesus gives us this name. He calls himself the Son of Man. What, what does that mean and how does that help us? Well, in order to figure that out, we're going to have to consider the backstory to this turn of phrase, Son of Man. What's the backstory to that? Well, in order to do that, are you guys catching on with how this series works? We're going to go to the Old Testament. Who knew? Okay, we're going to go to the Old Testament and see where this turns up. So here's our Bible overview, uh, the Old Testament here from creation all the way through to uh, the Ten Commandments, the Promised Land, the exile, and, and so on. And then we've got the New Testament there, Jesus, death, resurrection, all the way through to new creation. The book that we're going to look at first to find the meaning of Son of Man is called Ezekiel. Ezekiel, it's in the Old Testament in this time of the exile, about 590 BC. The exile is when the people of God had finally been kicked out of the Promised Land. God had given them the promised land and said, there you go, congratulations, I promised it to Abraham and now it's yours. But you can only keep it so long as you're faithful and obedient to me. And if there's anything we know about Israel, it's that they weren't very good at being faithful and obedient. So eventually God says, look, I've warned you enough, now it's time for me to kick you out so that you might learn to turn back to me and to trust me. And that is called the time of the exile, where they lose the promised land. Now, where, whereabouts in the world are we? Uh, we're in this little part of the Middle East here. And if I zoom in a little bit, you'll be able to see uh, the people of God are in Israel over here. And there's Jerusalem particularly. And then under the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, the Israelites get picked up and they get taken all the way across into modern day Iraq, which here is called Babylon. Okay? And they get taken far away from their homeland to Babylon. So it's in Babylon that Ezekiel gets a vision. People of God are far away from God's plan, uh, from, uh, so from God's goodness, and, uh, and, and yet he speaks to them in exile. So I'd love you to come with me. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, I think it's on page 8. 
27. If you can check that out, so Ezekiel chapter 2, um, or if you're on your phones, it's on page 1. Very good. It'll eventually wear out its welcome, but it is good material, that right there. So we're going to Ezekiel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verses 1 to 8. Here we're going to see Ezekiel is called son of man. In fact, if you can see up there on the screen, Ezekiel uses in this book the phrase son of man 93 times, more than any other book in the Bible. Okay? So when he says son of man, what does he mean? Well, have a listen to these verses. This is God who just appeared in an awesome vision to Ezekiel, now speaking to him. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. You getting a theme here? But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not be a rebel like that rebellious people, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, that's a long passage. What do we learn here? Well, when he says son of man, what basically God is saying to him is human being. Because everybody here, well, the the men particularly, I guess, but we're all sons and daughters of man in some sense. There is a man involved, right? Son of man is a descriptor of humanity. And so to call him son of man is basically to say, human, human, do this. And so basically, Ezekiel is being identified with the recipients. But notice God picks him up. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came into him and raised him to his feet. So God empowers him. God tells him that his job is going to be pretty tough. They're going to be hard-hearted. Who wants this job description, hey? Congratulations, you're a prophet of God. And everyone is going to be hard-hearted. Oh, really? Then we're told that when he speaks, they will know that a prophet has spoken to them. He's to have no fear. He's to speak for God and he is to listen to God for directions. In Ezekiel, to be the son of man is to be a spirit-empowered prophet. Right? So son of man here means the spirit's in me and I'm speaking for God, what God says. All right, so that's the first use of Son of Man. It's very ordinary. He's just a human empowered by God for the task of speaking his word. Well, the second picture I want to show you is also using the the phrase Son of Man, but in a very different way. If you're in Ezekiel, just flip a little bit more towards the New Testament direction, and you'll come to a book called Daniel. I think it's on page 890. So we're going to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and in Daniel, Daniel, the book of Daniel, we see that the phrase son of man is only used twice. 
but it's used in a very, very different way. In this book, the Son of Man is extraordinary. He's really amazing. Now, you guys remember the book of Daniel, don't you? Daniel in the lion's den. Yes? Oh, have a nod, please. You know that one, don't you? And you know Rakshak and Benny in the oven? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you know this bit? He gets thrown, they get thrown into the oven and, and God saves them. So there's not even a smell of fire on them. Well, after all of that, we get to visions. The end of the book of Daniel has visions about the future. And that is where we are in verses 13 and 14. Have a look with me. In my vision at night, this is Daniel speaking, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So who is the Son of Man in this passage? Well, he looks like a human. He's like a Son of Man. Well, that tells us that the image in Daniel's head somebody who looks human, and then we see that this human comes with heaven's power. So there's something unusual about this person. Secondly, we see that they're led into the presence of the Ancient of Days, and they seem to be comfortable. You know when Isaiah meets God, do you guys know Isaiah? In the book of Isaiah, there's the, God's glory fills the temple, and Isaiah cries out and he goes, Woe to me! I'm a person of unclean lips. And I live among a nation of unclean lips. In other words, he goes, I'm sinful, God's awesome. But for this one, mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, it seems that they're just led into the presence of God. So they're comfortable there. Fourthly, you see that they're granted three things. Authority, glory, and sovereign power. Oh, I'll have some of that, please. Authority, the right to direct. Glory... They are worthy of honour, sovereign power, the ability to put your will into action. And then it says that all nations and people will worship him. Now, we can easily go past this, but there's only two options, right? If you're bowing down and worshipping someone or somebody who isn't God, it's idolatry. But if you're bowing down and worshipping and God's letting it happen then it probably means that the one being worshipped is God. Are you with me? Because otherwise it would be utterly sinful. And so God arranges for people of all nations and languages to come and worship the Son of Man. That, that's pretty impressive. And it says his kingdom is everlasting and it will be indestructible. Well, I like the resume of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. Sounds extraordinary. To be a son of man in Daniel chapter 7 is to be the glorious divine king. Okay? Glorious and divine king. Now, that's a long way from Ezekiel. It was just like one of us. So let's see this name, son of man, on the lips of Jesus. Let's see Jesus using it. We're going to go back to Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, to Matthew chapter 8. I think that's on page 970-something. So Matthew chapter 8. And while you're turning there, can I just ask you guys, did anyone ever run away from home when they were a kid? Michael did, that's worth noticing. Ali, yes. Doug did. 
True, true. Yes, Trudy did. Okay. Now, guys, did you get very far? Sorry? A block. Yeah, how about you, Michael? A few Ks. Okay, yeah, yeah. How about you, Doug? 5,000 kilometres. Well, that one's going to be hard to top. Uh, uh, and Trudy, you got far? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that, that's it. Um, not many people are as success, successful as Doug. He's going to tell us our story later. You can go and have a chat to him at, um, at, uh, at supper. But here's the thing. Running away. Kids, pay attention. Running away is one of these things that seemed really good in prospect, right? Put your bag together, okay? A sandwich and a torch. And when you've actually run away, guess what happens? You get away and you go, this isn't actually what I wanted. This isn't actually what I was intending. I'm angry, but now I have a sandwich and a torch and I'd like to go home, please. <laughs> right? That's typically what happens. I think that helps us understand what's happening in the passage here tonight. In Matthew's account of Jesus' life, Son of Man occurs 30 times. It's, it's by far the most regular way that Jesus describes himself. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to see somebody who came to Jesus. In verse 18, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, well, three things to observe here quickly. The first thing is, here's a teacher who approached Jesus. We should celebrate that church. This is wonderful. A teacher came to Jesus. Because uh, apart from this guy, what are the other teachers trying to do? They're trying to kill Jesus, aren't they? And so here's one saying, I'm ready to sign up and be on your team. That's a good thing. You would think Jesus is very excited about this, okay? The, the, the second thing uh, for us to observe is that this guy promises really boldly, doesn't he? He says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's a, that's a blank check, right? Jesus, I'm all in. Wherever you go, I will go. But Jesus has this cryptic answer to him. He says something about foxes and the Son of Man. What, what is that? He says, foxes have a home. Birds have a home, but the Son of Man has no home. Why is that? What's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying to this eager, uh, eager teacher, what I have for you, if you put yourself all in with me, he says, I have a rough, not royal road for you. Are you ready to come with me? That's fine, but understand it's going to be tough. It'll be hard. You won't have a good time with me. You'll have Life to the full, but it's not going to be a breeze because even me, just a son of man, I don't have a home. Birds have got homes. Foxes have got homes. I'm an ordinary bloke, but I don't even have a home. Do you want to come with me? I can't promise you anything other than life. And so I think Jesus is trying to say to this guy, you need to reconsider whether you're really all in. The second thing that Jesus says next, I think, needs some explanation. So come with me into analogy land, okay? I'm going to try and paint you a word picture that, let's see if it might help. Jesus is wandering around an environment in Israel which is parched, okay? It's parched physically, but let's imagine it spiritually. There's not a lot of people who are doing amazing and wonderful things for God. There are a lot of people who are trying to obey and be righteous, but they're doing it from dry and dusty hearts. 
When Jesus comes and teaches, what it's like he's doing is it's like he's planting a little oasis in the desert, right? He's saying, if you're with me, you'll have life and have it to the full. So wherever Jesus goes, imagine spiritually, little trees are growing up. Life is, is, is flowing in the desert, right? And so Jesus is saying, if you stick with me, you'll see life springing up all over the place. Now, somebody comes up to Jesus and goes, I want to hang out with you. But first, let me go home and rake up my dead leaves. It doesn't make any sense, does it? If all the life is with Jesus, why would you want to go and pay attention to dead things at home? Have a listen to what Jesus says to the next person who comes up to him in verse 21. Another disciple came to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now this sounds shocking, doesn't it? Let the dead bury their own dead. But let's think about it for a second. Firstly, let's get really practical for a second, okay? How many dead people can bury other dead people? None, right? So if he was really saying, let the dead bury their dead, unless we have some sort of zombie apocalypse, right, okay? Nothing is happening. Dead people can't bury dead people. So he must be saying something else. What he's saying is this. Let the spiritually dead people... Let the people who are uninterested in follow me bury a dead person. If you want to find life, come follow me now. Do it now. Put yourself all in today. And so Jesus, in a very real sense, hears this guy saying, hey, I'm coming with you, but let me go home. And Jesus says to him, well, there are some spiritual realities The dead, those who are uninterested in me, if you really want to turn around now and go back home, I don't think you're serious. Can I offer you one more little thought that occurred to me preaching today? If his father had died, right, he'd already left his father to come and speak to Jesus. Are you with me? I need to go back home to bury my father. Do you see? So he'd already left him. And Jesus is saying, if you did that, be all in with me now. Don't go home again. So Jesus is talking about spiritual realities, saying true life is found with me. Don't go home. And on top of that, this is a limited time offer. I I was also reflecting as I was preparing the fact that Jesus only had three years of his life where he was teaching. Did you know that? So Jesus probably died about 33 years of age. He did no public teaching until he was about 30. So if Jesus is walking by your town and you say, Jesus, I'd like to follow you, Okay, you literally only have three years with him, depending on when that conversation happens. And if you say, oh, by the way, Jesus, I'm right here in person with the living son of God in front of me. I'm just going to duck home and do some other things. Do you see? Something very important is happening right now. You you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha? Do, do, Do you remember Mary and Martha? Who's the hero in the story? Can anyone remember? It's a 50 50 shot. Who is it, Zaki? Mary is the hero. What's Martha doing? Well, Martha is running around the house because Jesus is in her house and she's preparing. She's making sure everything's all right for Jesus. Now, my, I had my, 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 um, my dad over and Caro's mum and dad over this afternoon. Do you think I tidied up the house? Of course I did, right? Jesus is in their house. So what does Martha want to do? She wants to make sure everything's right. What's Mary doing? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. 
So what does Martha say? Well, like any good sister, she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get up and help me with the housework. And Jesus says, shh. No, he doesn't say that. He, what he says is, he says, you know what? Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, in this moment, devoting yourself to Jesus is the highest priority. And so for this man, what he needed to do was give his time to Jesus right now. In this passage, son of man actually sounds pretty ordinary. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In this passage, son of man is ordinary like Ezekiel. Following this son of man won't be easy and it will be costly. It won't be easy and it will be costly. Let's see Jesus use son of man in the Daniel way, in the Daniel way. In order to do that, I want to talk to you about Undercover Boss. Has anyone seen this show? <laughs> well, this is going to work spectacularly. Let me introduce you to the idea of Undercover Boss. Okay, in Undercover Boss, what they do is they take the CEO of a company and they dress him up in ordinary clothes and then they tell him to go and work in the company like an ordinary employee, right? So all of a sudden at your workplace, somebody new turns up and you've got to teach them how to cook pizzas in the pizza oven, right? And they're a bit slow, right? So if you're rude to them, you'd be rude to them. But some people are lovely and they're helping the slow guy get to know how to cook pizzas or whatever it is, right? And, and so if I'm in my regular job, okay, let's say Graham and I work in the same job, and I say to Graham, we're both on the same pay grade and everything, and I say, hey, Graham, you've got a pay rise. Well, it doesn't really make any difference, right? Because we're just the same. We're ordinary. But what happens at the end of this show is they do a big reveal, right? And all of a sudden, who is this? The new guy is actually the CEO. And so he goes, and you have done such a great job caring for the customers. You're having a pay rise, and you're getting a promotion. Why? Because he has the authority to speak those words as the CEO. Do you get it? Authority. Well, let's have a look at what happens in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to, the, came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this... Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Well, first thing to see, it's always about faith with Jesus. Jesus saw their faith and then he said to the man, your sons are forgiven. That's an Your sons are forgiven. They probably are. Your sins are forgiven, okay? That's an extraordinary de declaration. Your sins are forgiven. Only God can make that declaration. And people pick up on it. And they say, hang on. This fellow is blaspheming. Now, in our day and age, lots of people blaspheme, do they not? You must live in a different world to me. They do blaspheme, don't they? They use Jesus' name as punctuation. Yeah? And they add in other swear words. And we wouldn't know what blasphemy is anymore. We certainly wouldn't use that word. It's just the norm. But here to be accused of blasphemy was to be facing death. So what does Jesus do? I want, to, I want to give you an analogy. Uh, I want to imagine, some of you take laptops to school, is that right, guys? Uh, imagine that you have a very sad day at school, and this is what your laptop looks like, okay? Uh, so uh, is it possible to speak to your laptop and say, assemble yourself? No. 
It won't, it won't work. It's just broken, right? So it's visible. You can see it on the ground there, but it's impossible to speak to it and to fix it. Okay. Meanwhile, in the cloud, the school has a record of the fact that you failed one of your subjects. In fact, let's say you had a terrible year. You failed all of your subjects, okay? Now, this would never happen to any of you, I'm sure. But they're all failed, right? Okay, in, in the cloud. In the re- now, in the cloud, can you say, school marks get sorted? You, you can't speak to the cloud and change the record of your past year. You can't change it with a word. It's invisible, i.e. it's in the cloud, and it's impossible to change. What Jesus does here is, well, we're going to use this analogy in a second. Let's have a look at the verses here in verses 4 to 9. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. Well, let me explain what's going on here. There's a a paralyzed man, okay? He is visible, and it's impossible to fix him with a word, right? He's paralyzed. Get well. I can say that. You can say that. It's not going to happen. Then there's forgiveness, It's in heaven. It's invisible whether the record of sin that God has against me. You can't see that. But what Jesus is going to do is going to link the visible and the impossible with the invisible and the impossible. He's going to link them together. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, I'm going to, oh, that's annoying. He's going to say, I'm going to link the healing of this man with the forgiveness in heaven. That's what he says he's going to do. So he says, I'm going to heal this man so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And what happens? He says to the man, get up, and he goes home. And everybody goes, wow, look at that. A a paralyzed man is walking. How extraordinary. Wow, that's a really cool miracle. And Jesus goes, every one of you have missed the point. Because I did that so that you could believe I could do that. Cancel your sins. It's invisible. It's impossible, but the Son of Man has authority to do it. That Son of Man, who has authority on earth to forgive sins, sounds a lot more like Daniel, doesn't it? A glorious, mighty, godlike figure. Following this Son of Man opens up forgiveness and healing. So, why did Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Why did he choose that phrase, Son of Man? There's a little bit in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus says these words. He told them, he's speaking to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. What he's saying is, I can tell you a story. And if you're not interested, it's just a story about farming. Or you can come in with me and I will tell you that it actually explains the kingdom of God. So why did he use the phrase son of man? He did it to conceal to the uninterested, and to reveal to those who are keen to find out. Jesus' name, Son of Man, is a mystery that tells us lots about him if we care. In essence, Son of Man is a wooden toy on the table, right? If you're uninterested, huh, it's a lump of wood. But if you pay attention, in that name is all we need to know about who 
Jesus is. Well, I want to suggest to you tonight that this piece of information can help us when we pray. That this piece of information can help us when we pray. Now, when you pray, do you have a picture of Jesus in mind? I don't know whether you do or you don't, but do you have a picture of Jesus in mind? There are different kinds of pictures of Jesus. I had one like this on my Sunday school wall. It's beautiful, right? It's Lammy Jesus, okay? Fantastic, really, really warm and friendly. Now, Lammy Jesus has lots of understanding. I want to be a little lamb, right? How beautiful. He has lots of understanding, but he's powerless. He's just holding a sheep. On the other hand is a picture from somewhere like Revelation, okay, where Jesus is riding a white horse, wielding a sword with a crown on his head, leading the angel armies into victory. Right? That, that's an awesome picture. Okay? It's a fantastic picture. But again, we see this powerful but distant thing. When it comes to praying, do you wonder sometimes, does God care about me? If we've got a big, awesome and distant God, we might wonder whether he would care about us. <coughs> Alternately, if I know God cares about me, but my prayers don't seem to be answered, I might wonder, is he powerful enough to help me? Is he powerful enough to help me? What the title Son of Man does is draw together the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. The title Son of Man means that we don't have to choose. We have a God who is truly human and a God who is truly divine. Truly human and divine, which means he gets us and he's powerful enough to help us. That's what Son of Man gives us. And so I guess when it comes to applying this message tonight, here's three things that we could do. Number one, I want to encourage you to reject the false distance you might feel between you and God. The God who is really there is really, truly human. In the sense that Jesus' humanity has been taken up into heaven. He gets us. Reject the false distance. I want you to rethink the two pictures. Rather than having either lammy Jesus or horsey Jesus. So that's terrible, isn't it? Um, but but the, the soft Jesus or the mighty Jesus... Instead, what I want you to do is bring them together. We need to think both of these pictures together. He is truly human and truly divine. Thirdly, we need to receive him with confidence and awe. Confidence because the, human, the humanity of Jesus means I'm welcome. And the divinity of Jesus means I should worship. Welcome and worship. We need to receive Jesus as he truly is. So church, what I want to say tonight, well, if we're really apprentices to Jesus, we should be devoted to prayer. Son of man tells me the God I'm praying to is a God who will hear and is able to act. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good and gracious God. Your son Jesus took on flesh and blood. He understands us. He bled for us, Father, on the cross he was raised to show that the price for sin had been paid. He sits at your right hand now, able to speak on our behalf. Heavenly Father, help us be devoted to prayer because we know who the Son of Man is. Amen. Okay, Son of Man, a new title for Jesus. We're going to have our Q&A now. So if you've got any questions that arise from tonight, I would love to hear them. Have you got something for us to follow up? Something's been niggling away at you? 
uh, something that you'd like to ask. That would be great if anyone has any questions. It's my favourite bit. Not the awkward silence, but the bit after that when we actually have a question and then someone else asks another question. Has anyone got a, a starting question? Can I have an opening bid, please? Yeah, Naomi has one. Going to the part about bearing the Father first and coming back to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know how to verbalise the question, um, but the idea of that being a culturally respectable thing, I imagine, at the time and, and would still be now, um, how do we reconcile that with, you know, having to follow Jesus first, but having a culture that doesn't and trying to use, yeah, being a witness in those situations so, you know, potentially people can say, well, you're being disrespectful to your father and they can get upset at you for putting Jesus first. So, yeah. Yeah, so if we're in a family where, where mum and dad maybe yeah. don't, don't want me to, uh, to follow Jesus... And they're saying, hey, we want you to come and do something with us instead of come to church. Yeah, so when, when other people's priorities are different to yours and yep. how, that can, how, how do you witness to them in that yep. culture? Yeah. So here's some pieces of information. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And he says, honour your father and mother, all right? <laughs> so there's, there's two pieces of information for you, okay? How do we pull these together, okay? If I say to you, always come to church... I think that's being a little bit too over the top. You might need to wrestle a little bit more. But, but here's the thing. Am I, am I honouring my father and mother or am I giving up because I don't want to prioritise Jesus? And, and I guess the idea would be, Jesus, I love you so much. I'm torn here. Give me wisdom as to what I should do. Maybe sometimes you should come to church because watching Family Feud together isn't actually the most exciting or interesting thing you can do with your life. But if your attitude is always, Dad, you're, you, you've, I never care about you anymore now that I care about Jesus, they'll know, and that won't be a great witness for you at home either. So we must work out how to do both those things. Seek first the kingdom and also honour our parents. And I don't have a, a rule book for that. I think that's something we need to work through. And if you're wrestling with that at the moment, all I'd say is come and talk with us and ask your friends to pray with you. Okay, there, I think there will be some times when you would put your family, uh, you would give honour to your family, okay, and there will be times when you would say, I need to put Jesus in this particular case ahead of you. But if we do that in a really hard and fast way, I think our family blow up and our witness at home is often in trouble. So is that a suitably confusing answer, Naomi? Yeah, no, no. I think um, it just reminds me of that other verse that talks about hating your Mother and father. Absolutely. In relation to, yeah. Yeah, so, so remember, guys, remember the, the, the thing, um, Jesus' uh, mum and his brothers and sisters come to him because he's been so busy he can't even eat. And they say, hey, Jesus, Jesus is teaching a crowd. And says, hey, Jesus, your family are outside. And he looks at everybody inside and he says, whoever does the will of my father is my mother, sister, and brother. In other words, if you're honouring me, you're my family even before my literal family who are standing outside. So it'll probably cost us more than we would think, Naomi, to put Jesus first, and I'd encourage us to do that really wisely. Sound all right? Yeah. Good. Is there a follow-up question? Someone got another question? Yep, Doug. 
I've got a recollection that the verse son of man or the title son of man is also used in the Psalms somewhere, but I can't remember where it is. Psalm 8, I believe, Doug, um, which is quoted elsewhere as well in the New Testament. Um, Yes, it appears there, and I think it's a son of man, um, which is referring to human being more than uh, divine, but I can't remember off the top of my head, and so maybe if we look it up, we'll be able to solve it. I think it's Psalm 8 from my research earlier in the week, but it's certainly somewhere in there. Um, Let me see. I love, Doug, that you're just sitting there thinking, no, I think it's somewhere in the book of Psalms. Um, Is it Psalm 8? Ah, yeah. Um, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them is the turn of phrase here. I think elsewhere it's also um, sons of men that you care for them. Okay? In, um, In Psalm 8. So what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Sons of men that you care for them. In other words, it's talking more about that humanity aspect. Make sense? Brilliant. Thank you. I think we're all done for questions. Is that right? Son of man, awesome. A picture of Jesus' divinity and his humanity wrapped in a little mystery that you can pick up from your coffee table when you'd like. I'm going to hand back to Tim and uh, he'll take us through the next part of our service. Thanks, mate.